If you are able, please stand from, with me for the reading of the scripture. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He lake, makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The word of the Lord. Please be Good morning to everyone. We've got a new mic, so we might have to make a little bit of adjustments. So we're in a sermon series on the... That's a little loud, I think. We're in a sermon series on the Psalms, and one of the points I've been trying to make in this series that's so, I think, I'm appreciating more and more about the Psalter is that it gives full expression to uh, the full range of human emotions it experience, that when we read the Psalms, we're getting a vocabulary for prayer. So the Psalms, one of the things the Psalms do is they, they give us language for how to speak to God in all kinds of situations. And last week in Psalm 13, that situation was when the bottom of life drops out on you, right? When we're facing the silence, the suffering, even the feeling of abandonment by God. And I, by kind of putting these psalms right by each other, I hope you see that the, the tone is completely different in Psalm 23, right? The, the feeling is one of serene trust and confidence. If, if last week felt a little bit like a cold shower, today probably feels a little bit like a warm bath. These are familiar words, right? Maybe slightly different because most of you probably learned the King James Version, but you know these words I imagine, if you're like me, almost when you hear them, they just, you could feel yourself relax a little bit. These are familiar words, and rightfully so. Uh, they paint this beautiful scene for us. And while we'll do a little bit of work with the scene, it, it's a little bit more going on, I think, than we first see. It is a comforting psalm, green pastures, quiet waters, a banquet. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack Nothing. This metaphor of a shepherd would have been had these connotations of strong leadership and tender care. This was a royal uh, metaphor. This would describe a leader, a king, who provided provision and protection for his people, for his flock. And of course, people at this time would have been very familiar with this imagery, even if they weren't shepherds themselves. They knew that sheep are dependent on a shepherd, right? They need a shepherd to meet. Their most basic needs, food, water, guidance, protection. And in our scene, it opens up with the sheep uh, settling down onto green pasture. Now, uh, I'm guessing most people here are familiar with livestock. I don't know how many of you raise sheep. I know Paul Bowman and Ruth raised sheep. Probably some of you other folks had sheep growing up. But even if you didn't, you're familiar with livestock. But think about when does, when does livestock tend to settle down? At least in my experience, I've worked some with cattle. Livestock settle down when they're well-fed and when they feel safe, right? If an animal is spooked, they're not going to be lying down 
if they have not had enough to eat, there's a good chance they're going to continue to graze. So this image we have that the, the psalm opens up with is a sheep, a person lacking nothing. And they settle into the green pastures. So I grew up in the city. I was not familiar with sheep at all. The first time I remember encountering sheep, I spent a semester in England in college, and I loved to get out into the countryside and these almost postcard picture scene, perfect scenes of this idyllic uh, countryside, green pastures, these old dry stone walls that have been up for hundreds of years, uh, uh, pinning in the sheep and, and marking off boundaries. And then when I, years later, when I finally other raised livestock of my own, I was in the very fertile soils of, of northern Illinois, some of the more fertile soils uh, in our country, right? You could grow really nice uh, alfalfa in, uh, in Illinois. I mean, whatever you put in the ground was usually going to probably grow pretty well. So that, I don't know about you, but that's where my mind goes. And you all, most of you grew up in Northeast Ohio. You have images. Here we are in early September. It's very green outside, right? This is probably in your imagination when you think of, of green pastures, lush and verdant and fertile fields. When I went to uh, Israel, Palestine, Jordan last summer, uh, one of the most helpful parts of that trip is to get a sense of the geography. Understandably, we tend to take these uh, passages in the Bible and import them into our setting, which is totally understandable, right? So this image uh, conjures up again the, the green, verdant, lush fields of grass. And of course, we know the Bible lands were very different than that. A lot of the land is dry and undeveloped and rocky. Uh, I did see some very green fields up by the Sea of Galilee that I think were irrigated, but there were not shepherds there. That was for grain. And my understanding was that's the really verdant area, uh, really fertile areas would be for grain, not for raising livestock. So if you, the shepherds you would see more in the wilderness, on the edges of, of the places uh, that looked to us more like deserts. And I remember seeing these Bedouin shepherds who are these modern nomadic people that still uh, inhabit and raise livestock in the land. And uh, I was, you know, I remember being struck, if I remember right, just thinking, what are these uh, animals feeding on? Because it looks so dry and bare. Because there's, there is a couple seasons. There's a rainy season, which typically goes from November to March. And at that time, you can have uh, this kind of blooming of the desert. You can put up that first slide, Ron. This is the uh, picture of the Judean wilderness. And that is very green and verdant. Now, it's different than our pasture, right? It's not grass up to here, here. It's pretty short, but, but there is a time where if the rain comes, that the desert, the wilderness will actually turn green. But that's just for a few months. And you've got this long stretch of time, you can go on to the next picture, where it looks more like this. And I was there in uh, late May, early June, so this is more, ah, uh, the pixelation's not great. But you actually, there's actually sh animals over there that are grazing, and you look at that scene, and, you're, and again, you're like, what in the world are these sheep or goats um, grazing on? It's just this dry, barren, rocky wasteland. Um, but one more picture here. What you'll see is that sometimes in that are these little blades of grass, so moisture will get caught under the rocks, and it will trap that morning dew, and you can actually have a little bit of growth. So it's not a lot, but apparently, as I understand, there's enough, if you cover enough ground, you're going to be able to nourish 
a flock in a day. So you might have to cover a lot of miles, often up to five miles, but if, um, if the shepherd leads the sheep to the right place, you can actually get enough for a day. And uh, one of the things I, you can take that off, thank you. One of the things I bumped into a number of times uh, preparing this sermon was that people saying that in the Middle East, in this land, shepherds always lead from the front. So we often think about shepherds leading from behind. And there's, there's the story goes, there's this uh, group of students with a professor and they're on a bus and the professor is painting this really kind of beautiful scene of this warm, intimate relationship between a uh, sheep and uh, a Middle Eastern uh, shepherd. And at that moment, the bus is going, and, and there's these sheep crossing. And the, the, the shepherd is behind. He's driving the sheep. So, you know, here the professor had just been telling the story about how shepherds lead and don't drive. So he jumps off the bus and asks the shepherd, I was taught shepherds in the Middle East lead their sheep, and the sheep follow them because they love and trust their shepherd. Was I wrong? And the man responds, no, you're not wrong. Shepherds here do lead their sheep, but I'm not a shepherd. I'm driving them because I am the village butcher. <laughs> right? I don't know if that's an urban. There's a lot of these stories. You've got to watch out from preachers, these urban legends. But I think you can kind of see it makes sense in an environment like this. If you are totally dependent on a shepherd, if the, the, pa- the green pasture looks totally barren, you're going to need a shepherd to lead you. Uh, Because not only is pasture scarce, of course water is scarce. Everything is about water in that part of the world. Sheep can go a while without water, but they do depend on a shepherd to lead them to quiet waters. In other words, to waters that are calm enough where they can actually drink from them. And so sometimes they would have to go on long migrations to get to that source of water. Now, think about... um, a shepherd, or somebody raising sheep in this part of Ohio. Good, you know, as long as the rains are coming, you don't need to really do much, right? As someone who, who's a livestock, you really, you've got often a stream running on your property. You're often, the grass is really high. The sheep can be left to their own devices. They are, for the most part, independent. But, right, think about that, that second image, that dry, sun-scorched land of the Bible. You've got water hard to find. You've got loose Um, rocky hillsides, you need a shepherd, and not just a shepherd, but a good shepherd. The sheep, you need someone to take care of the sheep. And um, as I said, this is a comforting psalm. I would guess that many of you, if not most of you, have turned to this psalm in a challenging moment for comfort. I know I certainly have. Often it's one of the few psalms, or one of the few scriptures that some people have memorized. And it speaks to this intimate and caring relationship between a sheep and a good shepherd, of souls being refreshed. But that's all contingent on the shepherd who's able to settle the sheep in the green pastures, who knows where the quiet waters are and who knows the right paths to take. In other words, it takes trust, I think, which is challenging for us. I think, why is that? I think because it means, if we're thinking about green pastures as that second scene, It means taking one day at a time. Uh, I think we understandably want access to lush, verdant, knee-high, waist-high pasture every day, right? So you just, whenever you need it, you just reach over and grab it. I remember when I was raising cattle, and again, in Illinois, after the winter, after I'd been feeding them hay, I was so eager to get them out on pasture, and they were 
very eager to, to get out on pasture too, but you need to let the pasture grow up long enough, otherwise you're going to set it back. So you would wait and wait, and you're just so eager, and they were eager to get on pasture. But then sometimes, later on in the spring, I would run into the problem of having too much pasture, that the pasture was actually growing so fast that the cattle couldn't keep up with it, that the, some of that stuff would start to, to head out. We have, I think if we look back on our lives, we have these seasons where it does feel like the desert turns green. Like when that, or, or, or again, maybe in our imagination, where that winter pasture finally does thaw out and there's that spring of flush grass that comes out. And it just feels like life is bountiful. And I think we should give thanks to God for that. If you, if you find yourself in a bountiful season, the response is to just give thanks to God for that. Realizing that, I think most of us would agree, most of life is not like a spring flush of grass. If it were, we would, again, have little need for a shepherd. We'd be like that sh those sheep out on the pasture that really have no need for a shepherd. Everything they have is right here. They don't need to be taken anywhere. Right? The image of Psalm 23 that we need to understand is sheep dependent on a shepherd. A sheep, the shepherd that's going to get the sheep what they need for that day. That's hard. That, that time period of day by day is hard for it. There's one quote I ran into that I like. It says, worry is dealing with tomorrow's problems on today's pasture. It's a quote from a rabbi. Worry is dealing with tomorrow's problems on today's pasture. We may have enough today. Our needs are met today, but we tend to fixate on the pasture tomorrow, on the pasture next week, on the pasture next year. And Jesus completely understood that his disciples would do this. That's why in our series on the Sermon on the Mount, we read Jesus teaching us, don't worry about tomorrow, what you will eat or drink or wear. Don't worry about tomorrow's problems on today's pasture, because today's pastures have enough problems and worry of their own. I think it's why Jesus teaches us in that same sermon to pray for our daily bread, not a, once, not a month's worth of bread. And yet, if we're honest, we do worry. Right? We mostly, I, in my experience, we mostly hear Jesus' instruction about worry, and we either ignore it, we balk at it, or we chalk it up as naive. We just don't really trust Jesus. We, don't, we struggle to trust that Jesus is really going to be able to lead us day by day down the right path to get what we need. And so I think what ends up happening is rather than following the shepherd's voice, we end up driven behind. What drives us? Well, often the values of our culture drive us. Success, money, comfort. Like things that, if you step back, are more akin to a butcher than a shepherd. Or maybe we're driven by our own compulsiveness, our own perfectionism. Rather than settling us on green pastures, I think what we end up finding ourselves is on some kind of treadmill where we just go faster and faster and faster, and yet we never seem to arrive. And here comes Jesus, who says to us, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Right? Jesus offers another way. And if you look out at Jesus' way, oh, Sometimes it looks rocky and barren. Sometimes it looks like wilderness. Sometimes you look out and you say, there's no way I'm going to be able to feed on that. 
And yet that is the path that leads us to restoring waters. In verse 4, the imagery shifts from green pastures to qu and quiet waters to the darkest valley, or as the translations often put it, the valley of the shadow of death. The shepherd knows that there are times when dark and dangerous territory has to be traversed. Sometimes, you know, sometimes life feels like, for a little while, like that idyllic, lush green pasture where everything is going right. Probably more than that, oftentimes, Life feels like this kind of hard scrabble traverse of rocky and dry terrain where we're just trying to get through the day. And then sometimes in life, we come to the darkest of valleys. And that migration for, for in search of grass and water, there are times when a flock uh, would have to pass through these deep, rugged wadis. And, and wadi is, is, a, is a dry stream bed in that, in that land that's cut by those winter rains that come and, and create that wadi. And as one commentator points out, the air in the bottom of these wadis is, is heavy with the rising heat of the day. And there would be these, uh, in these canyon depths, there would be these dark shadows uh, where rising the cliff walls, which excluded the sun. Uh, and at that moment, you could feel the oppressiveness of the wadi. It's hot, uh, the water is far away, uh, it's dark. Uh, the, the, the flock is struggling just to get up the steep sides of the canyon. But this is what's so beautiful in the psalm. Who is there, right? We're in the wadi. It's dark. There's shadows. The shepherd is there. Note, notice how in, in Psalm 23, the language shifts here. Up until this point, it's third person. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down. But notice the shift here. And now the psalmist begins to speak directly to God. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rad, rod, your staff, they comfort me. So shepherds would have carried a staff and a rod typically. I think we kind of know what the staff is, five or six feet high, used for handling sheep. The rod looked, as I understand, a little bit more like a policeman's club, it had a knob at the end of it, and you could use it to protect the sheep from wild animals. And there was many wild animals there, wolves, hyena, panthers, jackal, uh, the sheep, as you probably know, very vulnerable creature. And yet, in the midst of this, they do not fear. That's what you need to see. The scene is all this danger, and yet they do not fear. Why? At the center of the psalm, the most important line, for you are with me. For you are with me. Right? The darkness is there. The traverse through the valley continues. But the sheep lack nothing. Not even in the darkest valley. The sheep knows that it will not be abandoned by the shepherd. It doesn't need to be driven through this valley. It doesn't need to be forced through this valley. Because, why? Because the sheep trusts. Because the sheep trusts that the shepherd is going to get it across that valley and protect it at all costs. I think I, I don't need to probably tell you all, who are older than I am, many of you, following Jesus does not mean that troubles and cares and pain and dangers of the world are removed from us. In fact, I think often if we're really serious about following Jesus, we actually run into more troubles, more pain. The question really is, where in those darkest valleys are we going to look for comfort? To whom do you look for comfort? If we have not learned to trust God on the pasture, it's going to be really, really hard for us once we're in that valley and things look bleak, that we're going to turn to God and trust 
We're in the shadow of the de- of shadow of death. I've over the years, I've uh, here I've been with a number of people who have been nearing death or at the time of death, and almost always we turn to this psalm. In part because usually, if someone knows one psalm, it's this one. But it's this such a comforting psalm in the shadow of the death, in the, sh- in the in the actual shadow of death, that God is with us, that God will be with us as we traverse that darkest valley. Right? You can see this metaphor of shepherd and sheep is so rich, and so we shouldn't be surprised when Jesus then picks this up in his own ministry and applies it to himself. He says, I am the good shepherd. I'm the one who meets the needs of my sheep. I'm the one who's able to call them and steady them with my voice. Jesus is that shepherd that meets our deepest needs and yearnings. Think about the needs that we have. They're very similar to sheep in some ways. We, we yearn for security and protection, right? We, we yearn to feel safe enough to settle down. Jesus knows us. He assures us our Father is going to take care of us. Jesus knows that we need our souls refreshed. He invites us to come to the living water while they will be refreshed. And Jesus knows we yearn to be loved. Why? So think about this. If we are going to kind of place ourselves as the sheep with Jesus as the shepherd, why would we follow that shepherd? Why would we trust that shepherd? It, why would we trust him to meet our daily needs, to take us through the, the darkest valley? Because Jesus, as he says, protects his sheep at all costs. Right? The good shepherd actually lays down his life for the sheep. He says, the hired hand doesn't do that. He says, When the hired hand sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep. He's just a hired hand. Sheep don't belong to him. But Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. They know me, and I lay down my life for them. This is what's so beautiful once you get to the Gospels, is that Jesus does not just lead his sheep through the darkest valley, that Jesus actually at the cross enters into that darkest of valleys, that most shadowy of shadow places on the cross. And in doing so, as the shepherd, he does something different. He actually places himself in the harm so that what? So that the sheep can return to the place of safety. Jesus does exactly what he says. He lays down his life for the sheep. Let's pray. God, our good shepherd, uh, most supremely seen through the shepherd Jesus, Lord, thank you that you have given us such a good shepherd who knows our needs, who meets our needs, who speaks to us, who knows our name, as the song sang this morning, who calls us to follow him, who calls us to place our trust. Thank you, Lord, that we can give that trust to you because you have shown us that you will not abandon us, that you actually lay down your life for your sheep. In Jesus' name, amen.